Yeah, that's just general enthusiasm on my part then. <laughs> so man, uh, uh, I was, you know, I was listening to the album and this is how this uh, the idea of this episode came about because I was listening to this album that you put out and uh, and I I don't even know how I came across it but it happened somehow, I think. Mm-hmm. And then I was listening to it and then the album ended and then there's just more tracks to the album. Yeah. And it just kept going. and then mm-hmm. and then it kept going and then there was this beat that you were talking over and then the beat got stuck in my head so i went back and i was like hey man this is why is this track half an hour long uh-huh. okay uh, which bit yeah so it's not a bit it 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 starts oh. after your album ends it's like all these bonus tracks of sorts oh yeah 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 oh you're talking about uh let go and let luger yeah that's the track yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh so uh i started listening to that and i started listening to you just talking about uh, generally what your story has been like so far and mm-hmm. it just kind of suddenly hit me just a second what is ha huh. it just suddenly hit me like oh man this is like a this is somebody who started a little around when i started mm-hmm. uh but on the other side of the world and, and you're a little older than i am you're 6 years older than i am uh, mm-hmm. but i started in 2011 as well a completely different You said earlier than me though I think 9 10 I said 2009 yeah. yeah and but completely different places to start comedy in uh, mm-hmm. with completely different contexts and settings and I was just looking at what you're doing right now and then I said checking out on YouTube and on the Instagram and I said saying oh man I know these bits but I want to watch these bits with video now mm-hmm. uh, and then I said hey man let's see where this conversation goes uh because then i started yeah because when you somebody googles you the first thing that you know like every article starts with a really small paragraph about how you were the first indian american writer on snl and then how you got nominated for an emmy and then mm-hmm. you were discovered by chris rock and then boom in colombia <laughs> this man offended <laughs> and thousands of people yeah and and does that get Are you tired of talking about it yet? Because I am completely oh, yeah. not talking no, about it. I, I, I'm happy to talk about it in the context of larger stuff, but I, I'm, I hate talking about it now. Only because I, it's, it's now it's like rote. You know, it's like yeah, I, it's taken. I feel like I've talked about every angle of it uh, uh, ad nauseum. You know. Actually, what's more interesting for me was. uh you know whenever i read like so there was this one article i read right and you were the, the lady's quoting a line you said where she's like you've been you're like you've been paid in advance which is something we've all done as comics where we like man i already got paid you're not getting yeah. a refund it's a very standard joke 
and i read it and when i read it the way she phrased it was like this aggressive fucking thing that somebody said and then you do the joke on one of the albums and you hear the line and you're like mm-hmm. oh man listen to the fucking different context yeah i mean a lot of the i think the bigger issue with just the cancel culture in general was likely that context is usually removed you know i i read something recently about uh the whole columbia incident in general and it was on columbia's website and the mm. two two of the organizers had said that i said that all women are bitches like immediately which i've never said in general but then they said that that i said that and i part of me is like i should just release the full thing because i taped the whole set yeah it's like what like we're on the same team like we stop trying to do this um but then you know i'm just like whatever it's it's a it's a small edge who gives a shit anymore you know and if people want to nitpick at a lot of things like that but i'm i'm over it you know yeah yeah i feel like on one level giving into it and feeding the fucking machine which is going to give those people more social currency because they're yeah, going to constantly uh, have something to bounce off of and that's exactly what they want that's probably the issue with everyone like you're anyone far anything left or right is that but you there's no nuance in conversation or opinion and no one you can't convince anyone of anything anymore it's like everyone you there's so much cognitive dissonance even like the hindus that i'm talking about like how can you say you're a you're a hindu person and then be full of hate and call for rape threats on somebody because they made fun of not hinduism they didn't make fun of the guy who statue it was they made fun of the 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 way Kora, right? yeah, yeah the way information is presented on the internet it's like what what stop you're not a you're not only are you not a hindu you are an illiterate moron like that, that's the problem i mean with all the everything's removed from context and no one uh no one takes a break to like how can these two thoughts exist in my head at the same time they shouldn't but does at any point like even with the us with the kind of people you see out on the street doing insane things like with the oh, just yeah, the I mean, sheer uh, arguments against lockdown for example you know do you ever feel uh huh against who against like having a lockdown and having people quarantined and stuff oh lockdown oh yeah i mean the cognitive dissonance happening in america right now is obscene it's like i don't know how i mean i do know how people can have that it's called cognitive dissonance like people can have two conflicting thoughts exist in their head at the same time like how you can say it, i how people say like they're uh uh anti abortion you know because they're pro life but will also be like you can't tell me to wear a mask you know it's like you you can tell a woman what to do with her body but you can't tell me to put a fucking mask on like get the fuck yeah. out of here I don't know how those two thoughts exist in your brain at the same time. I'm I'm saying cognitive dissonance is a worldwide phenomenon uh and I think it's very present in America and it's so abundant in what you're seeing in any far right or left movement um in India and America. At the same time it's like it's just India to me is I always think of it as there's 1.2 billion people, right? 1.1 what's the what's your number? Uh, somewhere no, whatever be sure of what the numbers are anyway yeah, it's like it's like 4x whatever whatever america is right which means there's four times as many humans which means there's four times as many 
uh, possibilities for things to play out in an extreme kind of way. And what we're seeing in India is just an extreme, more extreme version of what's happening in America because there's more people. Therefore, you know, uh, the odds of things playing out is higher. So therefore that's what's happening there. And it's got, it's like heartbreaking. I mean, I think it's also, also the fact that institutions tend to be a little more compromised here than there. Uh, it's, you have way less. Yeah. But I think, well, I mean, really, I don't know. I, mean, I, think, a, I, I think in America, they're just as compromised. We just hide it better. Do you ever, uh, <laughs> do you ever question your belief in universal adult franchise because of this? Universal, what do you mean? Like just voting? like, yeah. Do you ever like, like I do that sometimes. I sit and wonder whether everybody should be allowed to vote anymore. Like this is like whether we should just give it all to AI and just take a step back and be fuck it. Oh, uh, I mean, I definitely don't think it should go to AI, but uh, I, I don't know. There's, I'm not well versed enough in uh, uh, talking about enfranchisement for people. I think generally everyone should be allowed to vote. I think the the mechanisms in which people are informed about what their decision should be are completely broken. Um, and, and that needs to change more than people being the, like the only problem with everyone getting the right to vote is that people aren't informed enough when they make their decisions. And even if they are informed, they are not informed. They're like, they're taking information and using un, understanding it correctly. Yeah. Uh, incorrectly. I mean, so that's a that's a light answer. I'd have to think more about it. The short answer is yes, everyone should be allowed to vote. Or the longer answer is we need to fix the things that people are informed and force people to vote. So, huh. man, I started the the last time I the only time I ever did open mics in New York was 2017, I think. Oh, sure. uh, I was there for a weekend and I did uh, a bunch of shows and then like at the Grizzly the Grizzly Pair the Grizzly mm-hmm. Pair. Uh, and then around the corner and just hung out around the cellar. And, uh-huh. and uh, I think I met, uh, uh, fuck, who did I meet? Anyway, my point is, that shit is hard, dude. That shit is really hard. Yeah. That shit is New way York. harder than we have it here, man. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, New York is, uh, I mean, the city is tough. You know, I mean, also, like, Comedy is pretty new in India, right? I mean, I don't know how yeah. old it is, but well, I would say it's like five, ten years old. 10 oh, it's years about old. as old as your like your comedy scene, like your, yeah. your comedy career, rather. Like it's been yeah, yeah, yeah. Years, so yeah, I mean, so audiences have to mature a bit more, and they will expect a lot more as the uh, as the scene grows, you know. But also, like it goes back to the population thing. It's like, you have a billion people. There's going to be a lot more people that come out and a lot more people coming out just in general means you probably hit more people with laughter, you know? So a lot of stuff will hit a bit harder because just by the, by the law, larger numbers. Um, whereas in New York, people a are a bit more mature in their terms of comedy taste and uh, it's not a new art form. We have people already who could be on Rushmore's. Yeah. So expectations are a lot higher. And it's New York, you know, everyone, everyone's mean and angry anyway. So it's like, it's a pretty hard population to please as it is. Actually, what was really weird was the fact that, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I would do, I would start doing mics at like what, four in the evening and then get done by yeah, yeah. two in the night. And then, and you'd play about, you know, six mics 
in the day or seven mics in the day, more than seventy mm. percent would be empty. You would be playing to the host. Yeah. Uh, and that started making me wonder whether or not that even like beyond a point, like how many lessons do you even learn from an empty room, right? So I think a, a lot of it is uh, uh, you learn a lot in getting comfortable with silence, but also like I'm only learning this now. Um, it's something that's been inherent, but it's finally like being articulated. Like the amount of times you say things uh, really matters because you can find different ways to say what you want to say. And I don't mean just words, but like the inflection in the word choice. Like there's tons of different decisions you could be making with how you are saying things so that when yeah. you're saying them, they hit differently. Um, and you can find the emotion behind each and every one, every word you have. And like, I think if you approach those empty mics that way, uh, you come away with something learned as opposed to being like, man, that shit was whack. You know, that shit was empty. I didn't know how to get a single laugh. But sometimes it's not always about the laugh. It's about learning how to say what you want to say. You know, Is it, uh, uh, is it, is there a point where that stops happening? Has that st- I mean, obviously, I think you're at that point where if you go to a mic right now, hey, mics have started, right? I think you put up a video. Uh, no, so that was, uh, that was, let me answer the first question. Uh, the, the first question, if I, I don't go to open mics anymore, um, only because I can, I get enough stage time um, and I feel comfortable, like, working new stuff out and like now i'm at a point where i trust the writings like how do i need to say what i gotta say um that said i'm still constantly learning from Mm. whatever silence i get in a room uh the second uh answer to the question second question uh that was uh a pop-up show put on by um eastville comedy club club in new york and uh they had uh, uh like a outdoor socially distanced show um, and it was my sixth time on stage since March. And, uh, uh, I was like, I call it, I call it open mic because I was trying basically new shit out, but I, it was, it was a proper show. Um, but I open mic'd it in the sense that I was just doing a bunch of new stuff. Um, but stuff that I had done like in piecemeal, like at these five other shows, like, mm. let me try this out. Let me try this out. Um, and then that was the first time where the whole set was like a cohesive, it flowed. It was like, if I, if, if it was like a large audience or, you know, if it wasn't 95 degrees out and I had had more energy, um, uh, is 95 degrees hot or cold, dude? Sorry. Fahrenheit is okay. 95 Fahrenheit. I mean, it's still hot. It was hot and sweaty and muggy, but I'm not excusing any of it. I'm just saying like the conditions weren't super ideal for anyone, but, uh, uh, I wanted, that was the first time I had strung together the, like the bits in order. And like, I realized how they would flow well together, um, where it wouldn't seem like I was talking about one thing. And then, you know, the next bit was about something entirely different. It was just like a flow um, that I was trying to establish. And, uh, I think I did it. So, uh, that was the first time I did that. Um, so that's the only reason I called it like an open mic set, uh, because I was just open micing it in the sense that, uh, the material was pretty new in that sense. What, were you, I saw the photo at the Chappelle Wala show. Mm-hmm. Was that, did you do time that day or was I just watching? Mm-hmm. No, I did time. So we went on, um, 
you know, what day it was. It was like a Wednesday that we flew there. Uh, me, Michael How much? Jay. How before did you guys plan it out? Well, I, I mean, uh, uh, he had a pen. I, I don't know Dave at all. Um, I'm I'm good friends with Michael Che, who is good friends with Dave. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'd run into Che like I don't know, like a month before, and he was like, "Dave is planning these shows. Do you want to go?" I was like, "Yeah, I'd love to just come and and see what happens." Um, so when uh. Che texted me like three or four days beforehand, before the, the show started, which is like mid-June. And he was like, you want to go? I was like, all right, yeah. I'm like, well, it's, I'm going to be in lockdown in New York or I'll be locked down in Ohio. You know, I'm not, yeah. not really doing anything. So uh, flew out there um, on a Wednesday. Show started Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I, I wasn't slated to go up. I was just in the green room, you know, where all the comics were hanging out. And Dave was like, you want to go up? I was like, yeah, of course. Um, and he, he'd never seen me, he'd know me at all. Um, but, you know, I was there with Che and, uh, and uh, Sypha Sounds and my wife. And uh, I think Dave knows Sypha and, and Che pretty well. Oh, shit, now you're married. No, yeah, fuck. Yeah, yeah. It was in the album you were engaged. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, hmm. So uh, um, Dave was like, you want to go up? And I was like, yeah, of course. And then so I went up all three shows and uh, had a great time. It's fun. But it's surreal, you know, it's just like, I was so nervous because David's watching, you know, it's just like, oh my fucking God. And uh, uh, it just felt like we were at comedy's Woodstock, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah it, was like, it, was, it must feel like a fairy tale vibe, no? Like to have Chris Rock see you and then, you know, call you on to the Oscars. And mm-hmm. like, this is the kind of story you hear about. And then comics like me who are generally jaded say, fucking open micers, this is not how it works and shit. And I discourage them. But you, in that sense, I mean, not to say that it's been like an easy ride in any sense, but no, but it's been all. that, it's been that. Oh man, like that one night that made the difference story. You know, almost. It's the uh, it's uh, you gotta know when the stars are aligning for you. And uh, that sounds like been, something your mom said, as opposed to you. <laughs> something I I just I I thought of a while ago. Just got to recognize when the they're aligning for you. And I think uh, the more often you're in a position for them to align, the better, you know, that, 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 that Chris Rock thing was just uh, uh, you know, being in the right place at the right time and then being prepared for that opportunity. Um, and, you know, and I, my friends and I created that show um, and we created that opportunity and uh, it, it, it did well enough that, you know, Chris was there for a, uh, for whatever reason, like from from the, the cosmos, and uh, that was it, you know. You talked about like a bunch of different properties you created over the years, mm-hmm. uh, right? Because there was the first one which was in the FedEx place, and there was the other one which was uh, mm-hmm. under the FedEx, sorry, under the FedEx place, and then there was the yeah, other yeah, one yeah. which was, and both of Bar them, got, one got bought out and one got uh, shut down because it was illegal. <laughs> well, the, the underground... Uh, FedEx place was called Sandbox, and uh, we stuck. This was like 2011, I guess. And uh, our friend Mike Denny um, had was fans of mine and, and Chase because he had seen us do Hannibal Burris's show at the Knitting Factory like a year or so before. And when he started the uh, when he started Sandbox, he called it Broken Comedy and wanted me and and Che to be 
like residents of the show. Um, and it was an underground FedEx. And uh, the first show was crazy. It was like me, Hannibal, Che, a few other people, Damien Lehman. Did you guys have an audience back then? How does this? Yeah, it was like, yeah. I mean, Sandbox had like 20, 30 people, which was a lot for us. Right. Um, and we were like, if we can get 30 people every week to try new jokes out and shit on, we're good, you know? Um, that's the consistent audience to do whatever the fuck we want with. Right. And then uh, the venue, the second show was like six people, eight people. But uh, we were, we had a deal where for $5, you would get all the beer you could drink. Um, and yeah. we underestimated the amount of people drinking. So we would have to go out and like get beer, like every, we'd have to come out of our own pocket to buy beer and stuff. Um, and then on top of that, we couldn't really advertise the show because we weren't allowed to be having people down there in the first place. So the venue, you know, we just parted ways with the venue after it, like it closed down because of new construction and we couldn't really like figure out when to do the show properly. And then, and then Denny found this other spot, um, right down the street from it. And, uh, uh, that place had like a dead Monday night where, you know, their back room was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was perfect for a show. And, uh, they, they were not using it and they get like two people in there to like just hang out and drink at the back bar and they're like well we can get six people you know it'd be me the, the other comics the producer and uh so that's at least six people drinking and so we we did that show for two years a year or two and it, it was just so rough no one would come up i mean no one no one would come and then che got famous um uh, and then people started coming for real. And then like, we went through a lot with that show. It was just huge, huge uh, uh, ups and downs. And then at some point we hit a stride. And from that point on, it was just like, that's the show to go. So that still happens, right? Like that still happens where a show in a local space kind of gets the popularity to keep going to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's a few in the city now. I mean, there were before this whole shit shut down. Mm. Um, that were getting pretty big. Um, Comedians You Should Know, uh, my friend Petey's show called Legendary, um, uh, a few others that, I don't know if you saw that docu-series that I was, uh, that's on my YouTube channel um, that highlights some of the cooler shows, or at least three of them. Um, yeah, so I mean, all that to say, like New York still has a lot of dope shows like that, but I think Matchless, Broken Comedy was and, and Hannibal's show, the knitting, which it was passed on to um, Sydney Washington and Marie Faustin and Amina Amani were like the shows that were happening uh, that were like people would hang out and get drunk at. You know, like a lot of shows are great shows and then some shows are like great shows, but also a great hang. Yeah. Um, and that that's what we were building. That's, I mean, that's what we had built with Matchless before, mm-hmm. uh, the bar got sold. Yeah, I find us in a weird space in India right now, where uh, majority of yeah, the tickets sold. Oh, sure, it's uh, you know, you know, you know. No, I don't. Oh. Is, it all, is it all like? Is it all dead right now? Uh, so the, the there are no like live spring. shows. There are no live shows. Absolutely right. no live shows. I think we're looking at Jan, perhaps before things uh-huh. open up because we have both the population to have a really huge problem but we also have like the apathy to not care about the fact that we're causing the problem right I mean, 
So we're kind of stuck between both of those things right now. I don't, I don't see it happening, man. I've been doing co- comedy shows on Zoom. I've been touring all the. I I tried. Um, I fucking. I've been trying out the new special on Zoom, and it's just like this exhausting process, man. What new special? I have a new special, so I'm trying it out on on Zoom shows, and it's uh-huh. uh, it's it's not fun, dude. Like it just it takes the entire. Uh, I don't know, man. I can do specials that I've already written. Uh-huh. on on the thing if it's an hour that i already have if it's a show that's already done but i can't like i i usually write most of my stuff on stage so then it becomes really freaking weird to write stuff on zoom because uh-huh. uh, well, i mean just, it should just force you to uh not write on stage yeah now no i mean it's see it's also this no it's also the fact that you go into like when you have an hour that's almost there you're going to get into it with an idea of where you want it to go and the way it's going to be and then mm-hmm. you have to kind of modify the the creative idea of with the reality of having to do it in a box which is nice because you add punchlines in places you wouldn't otherwise like i would never have done a get back into frame get out of frame sort of punchline or right, right, something right. that's very uh, like your stuff is super flip heavy man lot of right angles in the middle you know like and i love that about it because i know you're saying shit to make people feel uncomfortable which is yeah, yeah, yeah. so much fucking fun uh so um Oh, yeah, yeah, no, but don't distract me. We are talking about you. So, um, <laughs> you know, another thing I inter- that was I found really interesting when I was uh, talking to comics there was uh, everybody seems to have a way. Like nobody is just trying to be a stand-up comedian. There's like mm-hmm. this, there's like this, you know, like they want to write something. They have an acting thing. They have a portfolio. Of photographs ready and all of that jazz, like it's very institutionalized almost. Like there's a textbook on how to go about it. Well, I think the the I don't know if there's it's following a textbook. It's like come, we're just creatives and we want as many outlets as possible. At least for me. Um, but on top of that, like it's 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 almost by necessity if you want to be a a comic and you want to do comedy you don't want to necessarily have a day job um that isn't com- i mean I, i'm not this way but some people you know like are like well if I, i i want to do comedy in every single way i can if that means like i'm going to be writing on a show and then being able to do stand up then that's what i want to do um uh, so it becomes like your stand up's not going to pay the bills um for a long time unless you're you know super funny immediately which is yeah, very that, rare what's the qualifier for that like for here you go viral on youtube you know like you get a couple of videos that go viral and then boom you're uh-huh. selling maybe 100 150 tickets in every city and that that's usually crazy. yeah that's usually when you know ki, okay now i can quit the day job because you're going to get enough corporate stuff and enough you know parties and whatever and you do your own shit what's uh-huh. that marker like there do you have to be on tv to sell tickets in the states I I I don't even know. I I wouldn't know. I, I I've never been on. I haven't been on TV consistently ever. But uh, I think it's a lot harder to sell tickets here um, unless you're uh, not famous, but like on the cusp of, or like you know, you have your own kind of following. Um, that said, like you know, we'll see. I, I'm curious to know how. uh my recent youtube relative small success will translate into ticket sales here in the states whenever shit opens up again you know i only have like 23000 subscribers um which i don't which isn't a lot from what i understand but it's enough where it's like oh shit okay people like i get 
like just Saturday, someone saw me on the street. and was like, oh, are you Nemesh? I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah. Saw the Indian guy. I was like, oh shit, cool. People know who I am, but we'll see if that translates to ticket sales. Um, but I think, again, it becomes like, there's so many more strong comedians in America um, relative to the rest of the world's population. So, but, and also there's less people. So like in India, like it's easier to hit a niche yeah yeah 150 tickets every city is insane like you know if they're charging you know uh whatever 20 bucks a ticket you're still making three grand whatever oh, oh you're not making 20 bucks a ticket at all i mean i i don't know what the numbers are but oh, yeah. uh, but i mean yeah i think the the whole idea of touring as a kevin hart type comic like somebody who's selling out arenas is not a reality in india right now maybe mm-hmm. one comic can do it zakir khan probably is the only guy who can do it Everybody uh-huh. else is, uh, I mean, and we lack the infrastructure, you know, we, you don't uh-huh. have 3000 seater auditoriums in every city. You have to book a stadium for anything over 2500 almost. Uh-huh. Uh, so that public space of, you know, the, and the, 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 there's no public infrastructure to actually pull off a tour of that size. Uh, flights are a okay. huge problem. Like I tour pretty extensively and we just don't have connectivity. Oh, you know? sure, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, there have been times where I've been, I've taken four flights like across 14 hours to get from city A to city B to keep doing the next city on the tour. That's nuts. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, and that's ridiculous because India isn't that large. You know what I mean? Like if it was America, the first time I flew from Boston to, uh, I think I flew from Boston to San Jose, I was flying alone and I realized how fucking long that flight is. I thought it was a domestic flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good five hours, right? Five and a half. It's ridiculous. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break because my camera is about to shut. I'm gonna delete the file, and we will be back with the second half with Dinesh Patel. This episode of the AMF podcast is brought to you by Privilege, brought to you by Gender, brought to you by Biology. Welcome back to the second half of Akash Mehta and friends. The rest of this podcast might just end up being audio because the camera has not worked despite a long break. We're back with Nimesh Patel. Man, uh, okay, because we are short on time. I will not delay and dally. Uh, few things. So the whole SNL experience, right? Because that is like the biggest thing you can get into on TV in America right now, right? On some mm-hmm. level, right? Mm-hmm. And and it used to be it used to be this whole, uh, uh, the whole Tonight Show business before that from Carson era, right? This is what we do in India. We have a lot of times. So we read about the American stand-up scene. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like, and... And there's like always been this set path. Like in Bombay, in India, there used to be a couple of clubs and that used to be your set paths. You know, you do the weekend at that club and then you know you've made it as a comic or whatever. The fuck. And it. it became YouTube videos need to be viral and whatever the fuck. Do you feel, and this is a very roundabout way of asking you this, do you feel like Joe Rogan is kind of that now when it comes to a lot of entertainment uh, related things? He's definitely one of the ways that you can go from... Uh, not being known to being known for sure. I mean, I definitely obviously saw a huge bump in my recognition from going on that podcast. But that said, there's the thing with comedy in America now is there's a billion ways to hit whoever you want to talk to. Um, and then you you won't even know who your audience is sometimes. It's just random people will be like, yo, I'll fuck with you. Like, How the fuck do you know who I am? It's like, oh, I saw this... Uh, I remember like I did TV Robinson's podcast like a few years ago and uh, people got, are you Nimesh from 
two dope queens podcast like what you know it's just like (laughs) yes i am but that's crazy that that's how people are finding you so yes short answer joe rogan is definitely one of the you know not gatekeepers but one of the ways that the the carson of our day in that sense um but there's a there's tons of people at other levels where you could continuously be building you know there's tons of mini carsons as well you know Mm people with like half a million subscribers and half a million uh, uh, Instagram followers who will also like, can also like put you on a path to being known by other people. Hmm. I don't know how much, how useful my half a million are. But <laughs> <laughs> you have a half a million YouTube subscribers? Yeah, yeah. And I'm still not verified on you fucking Instagram though. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, uh, uh, I'm I'm launching memberships on my YouTube page. Um, have you gotten that creators thing yet? So I went the other way. I think mm-hmm. uh, uh, everybody else is doing that in the scene right now. I went and uh, I'm doing it on my website only. So uh-huh. uh, this podcast is also a user-funded podcast. Good time to actually thank the patrons. Thank you, patrons, uh, uh-huh. who pay for the podcast to happen. Uh, so we have like a subscription model for the podcast and then like an annual subscription for the website and all of that. Uh-huh. Uh, so I kind of figured, yeah, so I mean, I don't, I'm still doubtful about the scalability of this, mm-hmm. but the way I see it, if I get like five or 10,000 people, I think I'm good. Like I'm good f- for a while. You know what I mean? You mean like uh, paid subscribers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if I have 10,000 people subscribing to my stuff for an entire year, I think mm-hmm. that then more than lets me get the kind of money. Because for me, the website is more about A, being like seizing the means of distribution. Because uh-huh. I already have, I've spent most of last year, I spent realizing that uh, in order to level up now, I had to sort of become like a production house, right? Like, uh, yeah. and, and just stuff that com- comics in, the, in New York had told me years ago that I never really thought seriously about. Like, you need to, you need to be pitching something somewhere. Started getting uh, quarantine. Started getting into acting gigs again, which I would have just mm-hmm. thrown off the shelf because the auditions are fuck all. Uh, uh, you know, so all of that kind of changed, and uh, then the pandemic happened. So now it's yeah. like I have this whole production capability and uh, nowhere to distribute, uh-huh. uh, or rather, you know, the 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 way to distribute the, to the website would have been to keep doing stand up and record it. That way, Andrew Schultz has been like an eye opener, right? Because. Um, yeah. Even to comics here, it makes you suddenly realize, and it's not like, I'll be honest, it's not like Indian comics have not done it, but fucking where Indians know, like some, until a white person doesn't know, like we don't realize that it, it, it can be done. You know, that, mm-hmm. that's usually the proof of concept mm-hmm. uh, to all of us for some weird reason. Anyway, so all this time I spent doing that and then I said, okay, now we're going to double down on the website. So I've just been doing the website. I don't yeah. want YouTube to get 30%. That's a mean thing to say YouTube, but uh huh. Oh yeah. To me, I I wanna I wanna launch because I know uh, uh, to to have a, a working capital inflow every month. Yeah. To then yeah. produce what I want to produce. Because um, I I definitely want to do tons of stand up and stuff still. Um, uh, but I also have these other ideas that while I'm pitching them, I much rather just make them myself um, yeah absolutely and, then, and just be like the netflix version of myself for people who want to subscribe you know yeah and I, I did the math if i could get if i could get a thousand 
founding member level subscribers, founding members, what I'm calling like $10 a month subscribers. If I could get a thousand of them, I could do whatever I wanted, uh, yeah. t- make making TV wise. Um, so that's the goal, uh, to get just a thousand ten dollar a month members. Um, and once, once I hit that, hit the switch on get starting production on the stuff I've already written. Yeah. The only, uh, having done this for eight months, the only thing I can tell you to as a heads up is remember to also upsell. Don't forget uh-huh. to also upsell. Because most people forget to upsell. You you know what I mean if you're a business guy. Like you have to upsell the thing and you have to get more people on the thing. Don't forget to upsell the people you already have. Because it's oh, like, yeah. you might think that $10 is a lot of money to be asking them for, but there are so many people who would be more than happy to give you 50. So always leave that option for them. Oh yeah, no. I mean, well, the the starting thing is for five dollars a month. Mm. Uh, the ten dollars is the upsell. Like the ten dollars is like, <laughs> yo. Oh okay. Because for five dollars a month, like I'm gonna do one open mic a week, um, and one people have noticed that that like I I have taken kindly to the fact that I smoke <laughs> and like do drugs, uh, and so uh, people are like, man, I want to smoke with this guy. So like once a week, I'll also do a a, a thirty minute like. I will light a joint on on camera and then we'll smoke and just bullshit, whatever. Um, That's so nice, man. You can do that in the States where it is legal. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's legal, but who cares? No one's going to, no one's, there's other issues happening right now. No one's going to stop a comedian from. So that's, that's the, the upsell is like you'll be uh, privy to the TV shows that, that I know will be fucking bangers when they're done. Um, and like you'll get exclusive access to that so that's that's the plan um hopefully uh some of your half a million subscribers want to participate oh for sure i i think <laughs> because no because when i started so i had posted a, this thing a screenshot of asking doug stanhope and andrew schultz and uh, uh i think it was so you you and akash singh were the only two comics that kind of like people messaged in and said hey man you should get these guys these guys are also really good uh, uh-huh, cool. They also said these guys are not too big to ignore you yet. Because <laughs> <So, yeah, laughs> I, I met uh, I met Azhar Usman from Chicago like many many oh, years guy. ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah when he came cool. to India uh, and I was just starting out then, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, I texted him but no reply yet. But that's what that Amazon Prime show cameo does to you, man. <laughs> <laughs> what was he on? He was on Patriot in the second season. Oh shit! I didn't realize that. Yeah. I know he's just busy. I, I know he's busy. He's writing on a show right now, so it's uh, pretty swamped with shit. Are you writing on anything right now? No, just uh, I mean, I'm working on a, a, a an animated show that my friend and I are, are producing. Um, that's uh, that's one that will likely be the first thing that drops on my um, subscriber or membership page. Um, it's a cartoon. Uh, that we've, we've gotten financed by a, a team of rich guys, and uh, um, it's it's awesome. I can't wait to show it, but uh, uh, that's all I'm working on right now, aside from stand up and pitching my own shit. Mm, that's nice to hear. I wanted yeah. to save this one for the last because this was one thing about the album that really stood out for me uh-huh. and really got into my head. Uh, Thank you for so you listening did. to it. By the way, I, I always I think I think it's the greatest comedy album of all time. So when people really listen to it and uh, uh, if you study it, I think it's a fine work of art. Um, 
I think history will answer that. <laughs> I think it's damn good though. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it in my, I wouldn't put it in my top fifteen. Uh, okay, so not my top ten, but I would say that it's as far as a comedy album goes, as far as somebody who appreciates the craft, I fucking really enjoyed it. And I Thank think you. I also enjoyed it because I kind of it felt like a wavelength match where I was like, I, I would have, yes, I agree with you. I support your decision to make these people feel this way right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that one felt nice. Um, the second track on the album is mm-hmm. a voice note. I think was it a was it a phone call? Friends. Yeah, was it a phone call with their parts? Oh, I, you didn't have to explain that. I'm good, Jude. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, was it a phone call that you cut yourself out of, or was it a voicemail that they sent you? No, uh, it was. Uh, um, I asked my mom to go to their house uh, while I was making the album. And uh, I asked them to record the thing that I remember them saying. Um, uh, and so they, they did that for me. And I just put them on the album. Uh, yeah, I hope you fucking keep going to eat those bhajias, dude. Don't fucking miss out on that shit. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I spent the better part of the last decade losing most of my grandparents. I'm so sorry. it just sort of like it tapped into like this uh, thing in my head. And I was just like, oh my God, this is... This is why is this American-born person giving me nostalgia about my yeah, grandparents? <laughs> That's it, man. I'm glad it. Yeah, I'm glad it hit you. I think a lot of people are like, "Yo, you put your grandparents on your album?" Like, "Yep, like that's dope." I had to do it, you know. Was what was the idea of keeping the end, all of this stuff at the end? I mean, you kept the songs. Was well, it just like well, a- well, the the album itself. Like the the show portion ends with what felt like the perfect ending, which I wasn't planned. It was just like yeah, it started with Colombia with that Guantanamo joke yeah. and that lady. That's a real lady. Her <laughs> name is Olga Olga Pradhan. She's a, a lawyer for Guantanamo uh, mm. detainees. And I was like, that's a perfect end to that um, to the set. And then uh, uh, the track, I guess it's like track 26 or 27, Let Go and Let Luger. My friend Kevin Barnett died uh, in January of 2019, like six months or so, eight, seven months or so before uh, uh, the album was coming out. Um, And so I had to, that's why I named it that, but I always liked um, the last call and on the college dropout Kanye West album. I just loved how he like summed up everything that was going on in his head. And so I had to do that. And I was like, let me like up until that point, people had known me as like the Columbia kid, but you know, there's so much more to the journey and it just felt like all that was being ignored. Like to me, like the fact that Chris Rock saw me and doing stand up five years into comedy, six years into comedy. I was like, I want to hire this kid to write for the Oscars. Like that should be a story, you know, that's like, yeah, I'll put that on my tombstone. Um, or the fact that what you wrote for Asin Minaj ended up becoming one of the most talked about addresses oh yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, um, the congressional correspondence dinner was like, like the, the clip that went viral for Hassan was something that we wrote in the green room at Caroline's. And it was a joke I was doing like a few days beforehand on stage at Matchless. And I was like, just take it and just do it and like put your own spin on it. But that's like, yeah. and it went viral. Um, but like, uh, uh, so then the, the other three tracks was uh, Beauty behind beauty and Madness, uh, Peace, and uh, Life of the Party, or whatever it was. Mm. Um, 
those are just things like those are bits that I liked a lot. I just couldn't figure out a way to put them in the set because they didn't flow in the whole hour. Um, but I was like, these are good, strong bits. And so I spent like a day or two just stringing them together and seeing how they would flow um, if they were the bits that I wanted to, to, if I would do them as a set. And so then I just did that. And then as an additional bonus, I hid two songs um, at the end of the 26, at the end of track 27 and 28, uh, just because yeah. like those, I, I always like, I made a whole parody music album um, because of those two songs. But I was like, I always wanted to make parody music. So I, I did that um, yeah. and I put them, they're hidden. You can't, unless you actually really listen to the album, you won't find them. Yeah. Um, but that's by design. It was just like, like, let's see who really fucked with it, you know? And uh, that was just because I always wanted to do that. And like, I, I made it a point from that point on to just do whatever the hell I wanted. Um, and that was my way of saying, this is what I'm doing. And I, then after that, I spent the next three months after that album recording an entire parody album. Um, and it's done. I'm just, I think I'll just put it out behind this membership thing. Um, right. somehow as opposed to, uh, uh, um, cause I can't, I can't put it out on Spotify or anything because it's all like licensed and shit. Mm. And it, it wouldn't be to make, I wouldn't want to make, I can't make money on like views and stuff. It's just more like, uh, but you, uh, YouTube will also give you a copyright there. strike. What's that? That's the problem. YouTube will also give you a copyright strike. Oh yeah. I mean, they, yeah. they'll, they will, won't, they won't monetize the video. Yeah. which is fine. I don't care about, I'm not, I don't care about the money from the views. It's more just like, you got to know that like, I can also write music, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can write songs and shit, yeah. um, which is just fun. Uh, and so that's what I did. That's why I did that. Well, I'm fucking glad you did that, man, because I was listening to that album and it was a nice album. But that, when I heard the story at the end and I was like, man, this is exactly what this podcast is about. Anyway, it's just finding out how much more there is to people who create things. And that yeah, yeah. fucking brought us right back here. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you for having me. I hope this was fun. Not at all, man. My pleasure. Thanks for being on it. All right, brother. Stay right, up. Man. Stay safe. Uh, hit me up whenever. All right, man? For sure, man. Take care. All right. Take care of yourself, brother. Thank you.